0: This morning's service uh, sermon is uh, looking at um, chapters 18 and uh, 19 of 1 Samuel, and um, we encourage you to take the Bible from the uh, back of the seat, there, the maroon-coloured Bibles like these, and turn to page 290, so that you can follow the reading as I present it, um, and then keep it open as Phil talks to us from the passage. So it's page 290 uh, on the Bibles that we have there. Um, the the sermon will be looking at the whole of the two two chapters I will be jumping a little bit um, but I'll let you know when when I get there so it's uh, uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18 and I'm starting to uh, read from verse 1 it's headed Saul's growing fear of David after David had finished talking with Saul Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself from that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, Saul was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now we're jumping now to verse 20, down at the bottom of that page. Now Saul's daughter Michal was in love with David, and when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him, and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law, Then Saul ordered his attendants, speak to David privately and say, look, the king likes you and his attendants all love you, now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David, but David said, do you think it's a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. When Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Saul's plan was for David to fall by the hands of the Philistines. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So, before the allotted time elapsed, David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. They counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter Michal in marriage. When Saul realised the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, "'My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. "'Be on your guard tomorrow morning. "'Go into hiding and stay there. "'I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. "'I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out.' Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, "'Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. "'He's done no wrong to you, and what has he done? "'What he's done has benefited you greatly. "'He took his life into his hands when he killed the Philistine.' The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Once more war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning, but Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Mishal let David down through the window and he fled and escaped. Then Michel took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. When Saul sent his men to capture David, Michel said, mm, He's ill. Then Saul sent the men back to sea and told them, Bring him to me in his bed that I may kill him. But when the men entered, there was the idol in the bed and the head with some goat's hair. Saul said to Michel, Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away? So he escaped. Michel told him, He said to me, Let me get away. Why should I kill you? When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Word came to Saul. David's at Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it. He sent more men and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Rama and went to the great cistern at Seku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Naoth at Rama, they said. So Saul went to Naoth and Rama, but the Spirit of God came even on him as he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. This is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets?
1: thank you very well read uh, actually um, talking of thank yous I was just sitting down there and uh, um, looking at the Christmas tree it's great isn't it so a uh, big thank you to John Rosie Morgan for uh, putting those thousands of lights on the Christmas tree as well now we're coming to um, 1 Samuel 18 and 19 and let's pray and ask God to to help us with this Father it's a, a great story Uh And we believe it's more than a story because it's in your word. And there are great truths here for us to understand. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us these things this morning for your name's sake. Amen. So it's 1 Samuel uh, 18 and 19. And uh, you'll see that the title on our orders of service is Jesus, uh, Threat or Friend. But first of all... Let me ask you about uh, Helen Martin, the rather shy 31-year-old winner of the Turner Prize this week. Uh, you may have seen her in the news. She's a, a sculptor and a painter, and uh, <clears throat> you may have seen her work. And if you're anything like me, uh, trying to be polite and wondering, uh, what is that about? And uh, here we are. I mean, what, what is that about? Well, uh, it may be just me. But I was really helped in the news this week because um, Will Com- Gompertz, here he is, unmistakable, and uh, <clears throat> anyway, he's on the BBC, and uh, he just explained with customary enthusiasm that maybe, maybe um, Helen uh, Martin, Martin has, uh, has a point. Maybe she does have something to say. Maybe when you look at these works that she has done, actually there is something really rather good about them, and there are things to understand beneath the surface. And I reckon that's just like 1 Samuel 18 and 19. You read it and you think, well, it's a great story, but what's all that about? What is it about? And I hope that in 20 uh, minutes' time, or maybe a couple more, uh, you may be thinking, well, maybe those two chapters that Philip has read for us really do have an important point to make. Now, some people think 1 Samuel 18 and 19, well, it's a, it's a case study of Paul's psychological disintegration. And I'm sure there are uh, psychological things to learn here. Others uh, say, well, it's about David and Jonathan's uh, growing, developing friendship. And so there are lessons to learn there about human love and relationships. Others would say, well, actually, the real focus it really ought to be in chapter 19, and that's about the overruling of God's spirit in our lives, especially when you look at the end of that chapter. Still others could say, well, of course, it's, uh, it's actually a, a case study in deceitfulness of daughters because you've got two of them here we didn't read about uh, the eldest daughter but uh, um, but they're protecting David and uh, making fools out of the soldiers and out of uh, uh, dad Saul, Michal especially well this passage I believe is not about none of that uh, in fact I believe that this passage uh, is a comparison I believe it's a contrast uh, and uh, you see David here he's rather like Marmite you love him or you hate him and most people here love David, don't they? You read through and you think that David, he's really loved here. And uh, um, <clears throat> he's, he's success, successful. And a lot of that's down to God. So you read, look at verse 12, for instance, in and, and chapter 18. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David. But had departed from Saul. So the Lord was with David. And David is seen here as being a great success. But there is one man who hates David loads of people think he's great but there's one man who hates him well at least he hates him some of the time some of the time he's okay some of the time he hates him of course that's Saul and and I think the whole of 1 Samuel 18 and 19 um, you're looking at the relationship on the one hand between Saul and David and on the other hand you've got the relationship between Jonathan and David now we have to remember that when you read about David in the Old Testament, it's meant to make us think, is there some link here with our Lord Jesus? That's one reason why he's there. Now, there are things to learn from the stories of David, sure. But actually, we must also be thinking, is this pointing us ahead to Jesus? Are there things here for us to understand about Jesus? You look at David, and we're meant to think Jesus. Okay? Okay. So, these two chapters, they're about Saul and David and Saul being threatened by David. And they're about Jonathan and David and Jonathan having a great friendship with David. So I think the wise way to understand this uh, chapter is this. The question for us is, is Jesus a threat or a friend? Is our relationship with Jesus most like the Saul-David relationship, a threat? Or is our relationship with Jesus most like the Jonathan-David relationship, a friendship? So the question is not, am I like David? Uh, The question this morning is, am I like Saul? Or am I like Jonathan? Well, let's look at this in a little bit more detail. So, first of all, uh, there's a question about the uh, threat. The threat. Now, we see here, very clearly, that Saul sees David as a threat. Now, we've got to remember that Saul is the king. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me, but he feels under... (coughs) Excuse me again. (coughs) But he feels under great pressure from this young lad, David. David is Mr. Successful. Okay. Success, you know, just look, look out for the word success here for instance in chapter 18 it's in verse 5, it's in verse 14, it's in verse 15, it's in verse 30 there and it is clear if you look in chapter 18 verses 12, 14 and 28 it's clear that his success is down to God, God being with him now Saul King Saul crown on the head Saul Saul sitting on the throne Saul is actually threatened he feels threatened by David but there's nothing actually he can very much he can do about it at least he tries but he can't we'll see more about that later on Uh, David is loyal he's humble and yet Saul is clearly threatened by him and if you add to that Saul's well, in some form is mental instability. And then you get the spear throwing instance. There are two of them. There's one in each chapter here. As Saul tries to nail David to the wall. So, uh, verse 11 say of chapter 18. And that's what he's trying to do. That doesn't work, so he tries to marry David off to his uh, daughter Merab in chapter 18 and verse 17. But David says, oh, "That's too great an honour for me to marry the king's daughter." And then Saul tries again with his daughter Michal in 18:21, and he sets up a plot. And he says, "Well, look, what we're going to do? If uh, you're going to have Michal, my daughter, in marriage, if you're going to do that, I want a hundred Philistine foreskins." it's horrible isn't it, and then he counted them out not a hundred but two hundred of them kind of strung up on a piece of string or something I imagine, I haven't got an illustration that's ok um, and uh, David came back with these by the way that's what they did in those days to show that, uh, you're, that you were, you were um, a vict- victory the Egyptians would sever someone's hand and they'd come along with a hundred, two hundred hands the Assyrians would sever someone's head and it would come along with the heads the Israelites, they did it with foreskins and that's how they measure their success and the result 1829 here um, uh, you see there Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days Saul saw David as a threat now when we see David in the Bible we are meant to think ahead does this teach me something of Jesus Uh, it doesn't always But I think this does here teach us about our relationship with Jesus. Is Jesus a threat to you? Is he a threat to your freedom? Is he a threat to your reputation? Is he a threat to your lifestyle? Is he a threat to your fun? If I really want to uh, uh, follow Jesus, then... Some people say, well, it is a threat, really, because I, mean, I won't be free to go where I want to on a holiday, and I won't be free to use my holidays, though I want to use them. And uh, if I'm really going to follow Jesus, my, my reputation as a fun-loving, party-going, speak-your-mind person is going to be um, threatened, a threat to my reputation. If I take Jesus seriously, I'll never progress in my career, because I'm nice enough at church, but you should see me tomorrow morning. Well, there are lots of ways in which Jesus could be seen by us as a threat. Actually, lots of ways in which our relationship with Jesus could be a parallel with Saul's relationship with Jesus, with uh, with David. And if you're thinking, actually, I think he might be a bit of a threat to me, to be honest, then you need to know that Jesus doesn't threaten anything that's good. In fact, he never ever threatens anything that's good. If you feel Jesus is a threat to you, he's only threatening the rubbish of our lives. If he's willing to lay if we're willing to lay that down, it can only be good for us. So if we feel that Jesus is a threat, it's only goodness threatening less good things. In passing, two things to note here. First, let's note the value of friendships. People long for good friends, don't they? They just long for good friends. Um, Albert Camus said, uh, Don't walk in front of me, I may not follow. Don't walk behind me, I may not lead. Walk beside me and be my friend. And Winnie the Pooh, said this, if you live to be a hundred, I want to live to be a hundred minus one day, so I never have to live without you. And we see here the start of a really lovely close friendship between David and Jonathan. Just look at verse 1 of chapter 18. Uh, Literally it says there, they're knitted together. So if you're wearing a jumper this morning... Just have a look at your forearm and see how the different strands of wool are, uh, are threaded together. That's a picture of the relationship between David and Jonathan. Some say it was a gay relationship. Oh, please. The Bible never even suggests it. And of course, David, we know, is clearly heterosexual. Look at his uh, affair with Bathsheba. And in the Old Testament law, it was outlawing gay sex quite clearly. And here it's saying that the relationship between the two was a good thing. I think you can only see this friendship as a gay sexual relationship if you're desperate to find approval for it. Uh, And it's not there. It's just a plain, ordinary, good friendship. Instead, you see, the Bible encourages close, trusting, honest friendships with people of the same sex. So thank God for good friendships. Nurture them. Take time to develop true friendships. I think men especially. Blokes, be honest. Have you got any mates? Do you have any good friends? Real friends. If you had a problem, guys, who would you go to? I think we all need to learn to develop good friendships. It takes time. It takes commitment. They have to be maintained. If we have got good friends, thank God for them. And make sure you keep them. And if you haven't, deliberately seek with God's help to grow them. We need good friends. Men as well as women. As in men having men friends and women having women friends. The second thing to note, and uh, just briefly here, is uh, God's consistent protection. It's uh, very clear, I think, as you look through chapter 19, um, that God is protecting David in an unseen way. Um, so in verses 1 to 7 for instance Jonathan intervenes on David's behalf when Saul tells his son and all his attendants to kill David there's another spear incident in uh, verses 8 to 10 verses 11 to 17 uh, men are sent to uh, David's house but Michal is there uh, and she lets him out of the window and then makes the bed look like David's sound asleep there 18 to 24 there uh, there are informers, Saul's informers are everywhere and uh, uh, then um, uh, so the, he sends people up, and they get uh, afflicted really by the spirit of God. And, uh, and then he, Saul goes up himself, and the spirit of God turns him into some kind of psychological wreck. He even takes Saul to take all, gets Saul to take all his clothes off. And in that culture, look at the last verse of our reading: Saul is lying there in some kind of state, naked on the ground. He is the king. Can you imagine that? I know the Spirit of God is protecting Saul by coming upon, the protecting David, by coming upon these people, including the king here, and making sure that they're not going to do any harm to him. Direct intervention to protect David. A lot of it's unseen. And uh, we just need to remember, don't we, that much of God's protection is Indirect circumstances, people intervening, and so on. And for us, day by day, hour by hour, much of God's protection is also unseen, and I would say unknown. The devil would love to do more damage to us than actually happens. And from time to time, surely, we should pause and thank God for his consistent protection from evil. And pray for it. Do you pray the Lord's Prayer every day, it's a good thing to do, and actually deliver us from evil, is there. Let's pray it every day and thank God for that unseen, invisible and unnoticed protection that we so often just take for granted well there are those couple of things valuing good friendships and god's consistent protection but the main point let's remember david points us to jesus and there's a contrast here between the relationship between saul and david and now the second one which is which is one of uh, uh david being a threat to him and then there's this uh, second one and with this we'll be heading to a close where we're thinking about so the relationship between jonathan and david and uh, thinking of Jesus and being a friend. Saul found David a threat. Jonathan found in David a friend. i mean, take a closer look. Chapter 18 and verse 4. Now what's going on there? Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now you can do the research... Uh, I won't go into the details, but Jonathan is between 27 and 30 years older than David. He's quite possibly over twice David's age. So thinking in terms of friendships, as we were earlier on, you don't have to have a mate, a best mate of your own age. Okay, could be an older person or a younger person. So uh, so Jonathan is there, he is heir to the throne. And all the stuff that he takes off in verse 4, they're all visible symbols... Marking him as God's son and heir to the throne. And this is really significant. He's saying to David, I'm recognising you as the next king. It's not me. You're the coming king. It's huge. What humility. David, it's going to be you. Not me. On the throne. And as the saviour of God's people. And Jonathan, he's giving up his future. And as he does so, he gains a future under David's protection. Jonathan, he's giving up all rights to the throne. And he's giving them all over to David. Now, we're talking about friendship, don't we? I think this is more about discipleship. It's about discipleship. Because what's happening here is, is, uh, uh, is Jonathan is recognizing the future king. And he's handing his life over to him. And he's saying, it's not me. David's you. And David's a picture of Jesus. And Jonathan's relationship uh, with David is one of friendship with a king. And one of following a king. And one of laying your life down. In front of a king. And handing your life over to the king. And one of recognizing that I'm not going to be in charge anymore. One of over to you, my lord and my master. And he's saying all that and he's doing all that to someone half his age. Remarkable. Humility. Recognizing the coming king, David. David. For us, recognizing the coming King, Jesus, and handing over our life to the coming King. Jesus, I'm not in charge anymore. Jesus, over to you, my Lord and my Master. You see, the picture of Jonathan and David, it's not so much friendship, is it? Well, it is, but it's more than that, it's more significant than that. It is discipleship. As he makes that personal sacrifice and commitment to the coming king. What would you like to do? Would you like to live like Saul? Threatened by David, by the coming king. And wanting him out of your life. Threatened by Jesus the coming king and wanting him out of your life or would you like to be like Jonathan recognising the coming king and handing over to him all rights all privileges your future your life and become a true disciple do you want to be like Saul Do you want to be like Jonathan? The Bible says there's no third possibility. For us, it's either one or the other. Like Saul, like Jonathan. A threat or a friend of whom you will be a disciple. Let's pray together. And then David will lead us in further prayers. Father thank you that your word in the Old Testament it's designed to point forward to the New Testament and it's designed to point us to Jesus and we pray Lord that you would help us to be more like Jonathan and less like Saul to be more a friend and a disciple and less to find you threatening. For your name's sake. Amen.